ahead and take a seat. Uh, like Mo said, my name is Mike. I'm one of the guys on our college staff team, and this morning looks uh, a little bit different. Uh, if you didn't get the memo, yes, it's Ugly Sweater Sunday, and I promise you I'm literally going to turn this off right now. I don't want to give anyone any epileptic episodes this morning, all right? I know, it's sad, but hey, uh, if I can get it off here, uh-oh, we might be in trouble. There, okay, there we go. All right, sweet. Uh, guys, as we start, man, I see some great ugly sweaters in the room. My boy Kronberg's in the back. He's got an Iowa shirt on. Come on. Let's go. That's awesome. Uh, but hey, guys, this morning also looks a little bit different because we have all of our kiddos here in the room with us this morning. Come on. All the kiddos are here. That's exciting. Uh, I just want to brag on our staff team. And I want to brag on all of our volunteers. Man, uh, our kids' ministry is amazing. They beautifully point to Jesus week in, week out. They literally spend so much time trying to figure out different ways to share the gospel with these kids, okay? It is a phenomenal ministry, but every so often we have this distinct value here at City Light Lincoln that these kids would actually begin to step in to look what it looks like for them to worship with their parents. What does the body of Christ look like for them? when they get to sing songs and when they get to hear a message. And so this morning looks a little bit different. We've got crazy sweaters. We've got a bunch of kids in the room, but it's going to be a fun morning. And so we're in a season of Advent, a season of waiting. And, and Advent simply means the coming and the arrival of someone notable, someone famous, And so we're actually looking forward to the most notable person that's ever come to earth. The guy whose uh, birthday we celebrate every time we write a check, the the guy that's kind of dancing on my sweater this morning, who, by the way, isn't probably historically accurate to the culture or the time, uh, but regardless, this is who we're celebrating, King Jesus. And so as we celebrate Advent, uh, this morning we're, we're celebrating the Advent of peace, the coming of Jesus's peace. And, and so before we dive into Luke chapter 2, I want to start by asking you guys a question. And so I want you to first to, to think about Christmas, and I want you to think about the, the season of Christmas, and I want to ask you, if I had a gift to give you right now that's, that's all wrapped up and it's in front of you, and I put it before you, what's in that gift that'll give you peace right now? Think about that. If I had a gift that's all wrapped up, all you have to do is open it up and receive it, and it's got peace for you, what is that? Maybe for some of you in the room, what you're thinking about, man, what will bring me peace the most this season is if I can just make it to January 1st with a positive bank account, okay? We got some college students in here, they're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it, I got $20 left, like I'm hoping I'm going to put it in a basket, put a little towel over it, and the Lord just provides me with some hundos, Okay? Or, or maybe for you, what, what you want is, man, I just, I just want my kids to be good kids for Christmas. Or, or maybe for you kids, what, what you want is you want peace in the sense of, man, I've been trying to drop hints to my mom and my dad for like the last six months about this toy and this gadget that I really want. I'm really hoping they, they got the hint. Or maybe what some of us in the room are really wanting for Christmas is, is the perfect Christmas. The Christmas where the, the kids are well-behaved, there's no arguments at the dinner table, grandma makes enough gingerbread cookies to go around, all right? But man, when we think about that, will those things actually offer us peace? Now maybe, maybe for a moment, if you unwrap that and you receive that very gift, it, it might, but I can guarantee you this, it's not going to fulfill you for very long. Why is that? 
because none of those things can give us the lasting and durable peace we really need. Yes, they may bring a momentary comfort or a momentary joy, but a bigger bank account, uh, that gift you've always been hoping for, that, that perfect Christmas where the Huskers are playing a bowl game, is that so much to ask for? But even if we did receive that, I don't think it's going to be the, the peace that we really want or even the, the peace we should really be longing for. But what if this morning I told you there's another gift that's already been wrapped up for you that will bring you everlasting and unwavering peace? Wouldn't you want that? So if I put that gift before you this morning and all you had to do was open it up and so you open it up and and you pull it out and it's a baby, you're probably thinking, this is the opposite of peace, okay? I already have three of these. They don't bring peace, they bring chaos, But yet, this is exactly how God enters into our story. He he brings a a baby to redeem us, to to actually bring us out of the chaos and and bring us to himself, which is peace. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. This passage is going to show us what peace is not. In life, we've got some weird misconceptions about this idea of peace, and this passage is going to kind of correct our hearts in that. The second thing it's going to do is it's going to show us what peace is. Actually, it's going to point us to the true source of peace, this Jesus lying in a manger. And so if you've got a Bible on you, we're going to have it up on the screen for you as well. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to dive into verse 1. Verse 1 says this. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So my first point this morning kind of navigates through this idea of what peace isn't, what peace is not. Now, these verses in our text here are are very important for two reasons. First off, they they witness to the, the physical and the historical birth of the son of God. Okay, so this happened in a, a real city. This happened in a real time and place. They give us the setting. We've got this Caesar. We've got this governor. I can barely say his name, so I'm not going to say it so I don't mess up. But we have these people, and so this proves to us that this story isn't false. Okay, it's not made up. This is a true event. Secondly, these verses are important because it brings up two misconceptions that we have when it comes to peace. So the first misconception that we have is this. Peace isn't the absence of tyrants. Peace isn't the absence of tyrants. So in these verses, we're introduced to Caesar Augustus. Okay, So this Caesar is ruling, he's growing in power, and he really just wants to know, how, how great am I? And so he decides to take this census, this registration of how many people are in the Roman Empire. Really what he wants to know is, how many people can I tax, and what can I do with that in my life? Okay? And, and so he doesn't care about the people's peace. 
He doesn't care how this senses might create a financial burden for him, and he doesn't really care how it might upheave their entire life to even register for this census. Really, all he wants is his money. He cares about himself. He cares about his own kingdom and his own glory. Okay, when we think about a person like this, this is definitely not someone who brings peace. We would actually call him a tyrant, okay? And so think about this for a second. Very often in life, we run into tyrants, right? People who have control over us, people that use that control to make life difficult and uneasy for us. That's what a tyrant is, someone who rules over us and disrupts our peace, disrupts our life. So this could be someone we work with. This could be a government or a politician that we disagree with. Or or maybe even at times this could be a family member or even a a friend. And so let me ask you a question. How do you know if you have a tyrant in your life? Have you ever thought about that? I think one of the best ways to evaluate that is after a, a long day, you get home. Is there someone consistently in your life that you feel like is constantly pulling you apart on the inside? If that's you, you have a tyrant in your life. Now, a lot of us could probably relate that to a boss, especially if it's a boss that we don't get along with and doesn't like us very much. Uh, For me, one of my first jobs in high school was I I worked at Gordman's. Uh, There's not very many of those left today, Uh, but I worked at a Gordman's and I was a cashier and there was a boss that I had that she just didn't like me very much. And I always wondered myself, like, what's not to like? Like, I'm I'm a nice guy. Like, what is going on here? But every so often, she would come up to me with this little scrubber in her hand, and when things got slow, she would ask me, hey, Mike, I I need you to go to the bathroom, and I need you to scrub the toilet, and I need you to scrub the floors with this tiny little scrubber. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, what did I do wrong? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And I don't know if you've ever been in a Gordman's. I don't know if you've ever been in a Gordman's bathroom. But let's just say, like, I'm 100% confident this is where they get their slogan, something unexpected, okay? Because every time I'll go in that bathroom to clean those floors, there was something unexpected. I'm like, that's not supposed to be there. This is messed up. But I remember being on my hands and my knees, cleaning this floor and cleaning the toilets and thinking to myself, like, why? Why doesn't she like me? Like, what, what, did, I, what did I do to her? Like, I'm going to quit this job. I did. Two weeks later, and, and I thought to myself, man, if I just quit this job, my life's going to be better. If I just get rid of the tyrant, if I just get rid of the situation, my life is going to be so much better. But unfortunately, a couple weeks later, I found myself in another situation. I'm in a restaurant, and I'm still doing things that aren't in my job description. I'm still cleaning toilets. I think, guys, there is a lie that we believe that if we get rid of the boss, if we get rid of that person that is pulling us apart on the inside, that we'll find peace. But that's not true, right? Why? Because another tyrant will come. That's the reality that we live in. That's the world that we live in. We live in a broken world where tyrants love to rule. We live in a broken world where sin runs rampant, and where sin runs rampant, tyrants always rule. They're endless. Peace cannot be the absence of tyrants. just can't. The second misconception that we see that the text draws out is that peace isn't the absence of our troubles. Peace cannot be the absence of our troubles. If you look at verse 4, 
you start to see some of the troubles that Mary and Joseph begin to experience in this story. They're forced to travel to the town of Bethlehem. Now, from where they are, that's 80 miles. All right? There's no Uber for that. So they've got to journey those 80 miles. Now, Mary's within days of delivering the Son of God. Who takes their wife 80 miles walking right before they're about ready to give birth, okay? This is a tough situation. But, but the text also shows us who Joseph is. Joseph is from the lineage of the most beloved king in all of Israelites' history. And he's being pushed around by some egotistical Caesar who's a thousand miles away from him. And they're doing all of this just so that they can pay taxes to a government that doesn't even care about them. Okay, this is a rough situation. And to make matters worse, when they finally do arrive to this town of Bethlehem to register for this census, there's no room for them. You can't think it gets any worse than that. But then all of a sudden, Mary tells Joseph, it, it's time. Like, I'm, I'm going to have this baby. And, and so they run to the, the, the nearest stable, and, and that's where the Son of God is delivered into this world. The Son of God entered the world in a stable, lying in a feeding trough for animals. Think about Joseph's mindset here. He, he's got to be thinking, I am the world's worst husband. I should have made reservations or something. Like, like what is going on here? God, God, why have you chosen me? This can't be your way. This can't be the way to start a family. This can't be the way to raise the son. This can't be the place for the son of God to be born. Why? Why all these troubles? Troubles are the things that we don't have any control over. The stuff we could never plan for, the things in life that we could never expect. Troubles are the circumstances in life that only have us left saying, why? Why me? Why now? God, why have you done this to me? And the reality is, we all experience those troubles in life. For me, I remember being in high school, and I remember tearing every ligament in my left knee in one of the most JV tackles in the history of football. And I'm left there thinking to myself, like, I don't even like football, but now I can't ever play it again. Like, why me? Why now? And I, I think about my parents, and I think about the, the paradigm shift that their lives took when they found out, hey, you're not just pregnant, you're, you're, you're having quadruplets, okay? You're having four kids at once. Mo kind of took my thunder on that during the call to worship. I'm a little upset about that. But uh, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, that's crazy. I asked my dad th that story, and the second he found out, he got in his car and he drove off for a couple hours, okay? He needed some peace and quiet to, to figure out, God, why are you doing this to me? Like, my entire life is going to change. And it did. He's not a carpenter. He's, he was doing a bunch of other stuff, Okay. But what is it for you? What are the troubles in your life where you're only left with one question? Why? What are they? Maybe you didn't get that promotion that you thought you'd get. Maybe you didn't get in the program that you thought you'd be. Maybe you, you thought you'd get that job, but now you're doing something completely different. Or maybe you're just struggling through a physical ailment right now and there's no cure. 
Maybe you've lost someone close to you this year. You don't know how you're going to make it through the holiday season with, without them. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety and, and depression. You have no idea where those stresses are coming from. Or maybe you're just saying, man, I, my bank account is real low. I don't know what's going to happen. Regardless of your why, know that all of us in the room have those whys as well. But there is a misconception if we believe that the absence of those troubles will give us full peace. Yes, if you remove those troubles, that thing or this thing, you might experience for a season some, some comfort and, and some peace, but it's not going to be the full peace. Why? Because there's always going to be another trouble around the corner. We'd be lying to ourselves if we thought the absence of this thing or that thing could give us full peace. Peace cannot be the absence of troubles. Friends, if this sounds like bad news this morning, know that it is. This is bad news. The world promises to give us peace when we get that job or when we get married or when we buy that house and we pay it off or when that frustrating boss gets fired or when your health kind of finally returns to you. But that is a false understanding. That is a false view of peace that is determined by your circumstances and controlled by the people who are uh, tyrants over you. It's not real peace. It's a momentary feeling of comfort and joy, but it quickly fades away when the next thing comes around. See, like, the difficult news for us to hear this morning is that we don't have a way to peace there is nothing in this world that gives us a way to peace. Your bank account, the perfect wife, the perfect house, the perfect Christmas, that is not a way to peace. We have no way to peace. That is really bad news. But the good news is that the passage isn't over. It continues. And in verse 8, it's going to show us where peace really comes from and who it's really in. So look at verse 8 with me. We're looking at what is peace. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. My second point is what peace is. All right, so, so here we have some shepherds in a field. It's late. All right, these guys got the late night card, all right, the late shift. Um, and, and all of a sudden, this, this angel shows up and tells him, hey, fear not. Uh, 
When you're an angel and you show up anywhere, the first thing you probably need to say is fear not because anytime angels show up, uh, it's probably going to be a bad thing. Uh, So the angel says, fear not, and tells him good news of great joy that the Savior is to be born. Not only that, but a multitude of other angels, like thousands of them, as many as you can possibly imagine, show up to worship what God had just done. This miraculous event where these lowly, unruly shepherds get invited into the biggest announcement in human history, God coming down to greet us. God coming down to become like us. And this event changes them. It it does something inside of them. They, They leave the field and they go on this journey to find this Jesus, and they find him lying in a manger, and after seeing that, they begin to spread this message of good news. Now, one thing you'll notice about this passage, if you're trying to spread the gospel, if you're trying to spread this good news quickly and effectively, the last people you would ever choose to do this, the the last people that should be the messengers or the mouthpiece for God in this good news are shepherds. All right, They're not looked upon very favorably in this society. They're they're actually considered to be the lowest in the society that their, their testimony wouldn't even hold up in court. They're poor. They're perceived as uneducated. They're they're not valued. Isaiah, in Isaiah 56.10, actually goes so far to say, hey, they're blind. They're like dogs who can't bark. Uh, They're they're, they're, uh, uh, without knowledge. They, They love to sleep, so they're lazy. And all of them have turned their own way for their own gain. All right, kind of harsh words, But shepherds had a bad rap in this society, and yet God chooses them to be his mouthpiece. He chooses them to be the messengers, the first messengers of this good news. Why? Why would God do this? What God demonstrates stays consistent with the rest of the passage. It's unlikely. This entire passage is unlikely. Mary and Joseph are the unlikely parents to the Son of God. Jesus was born as a helpless, poor baby. That's unlikely. God is using the shepherds to tell this good news because it's unlikely. Friends, God gives peace in unlikely ways. And God is using these shepherds to share this news with the world. And that's one of the reasons it's so beautiful. It demonstrates that just because the messengers are flawed doesn't mean the message is flawed. It shows us that God wants to use these flawed, lowly shepherds to be the mouthpiece for his flawless and his perfect message of peace. And what that does for us is it provides us insight into what peace is. And so here it is. Peace is the presence of the treasure. Peace is the presence of the treasure So in light of our entire first point, we can conclude that that peace is not a human achievement, okay? We we can't create it, we can't invent it, toys, trinkets, stuff, can't produce it. If you want to know what peace is at its truest form, if you want to know the peace that you really need right now, here it is. Peace is a relationship with God. Peace is a relationship with God. Verse 14 shows us that the key to having this kind of peace. It says, glory to God and peace to man. If you say, you know what, 
I'm not interested in that whole glory to God thing, but I really want that peace. Can I have that? The answer is going to be no. You can't separate them. The angels couldn't separate them. God doesn't separate them. You can't separate them. God's purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. What that means is as you look to God, you recognize, God, you are far better than anything else in this world has to offer me. You truly are the most glorious thing, the most glorious person in my life. Several times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. Jesus speaks about this in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, 14, Paul says, Jesus is our peace. This means that if you genuinely desire peace and don't want the glorious God, you're missing something. You won't get that peace. He will be our peace by being our God. If you want peace to rule in your life, then you need God to rule in your life. That's the only way that it works. And so the key to having peace in this world is having a heart that is bent on glorifying God, making much of him and treasuring him in all we do. What's so beautiful is in the Old Testament, it speaks a lot about peace. It's riddled with it. All the Psalms are always alluding to it, and they use this word shalom. And shalom means to be made whole. Now, that's not a wholeness in physical, earthly relationships or having enough money in your bank account. This is a wholeness with God, to be made right with God. And it begs this question, why do we need to be made right with God? What happened? Rebellion. Rebellion happened. We thought that we knew best. We thought that we could run our lives better than God. We prefer to make ourselves the center of the universe and align our hearts on the things that we want, the desires that we want. And we said, you know what, God, I know better than you. Your will? Nah, my will. My way. And because of that, sin entered the world. The Bible calls us then traitors to God. It says, no one is good. All fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, separation exists. And because of that, the curse of death happens. Now, if you're tracking here, there's only really two ways that that situation is going to resolve itself, right? Either we're going to step into the eternal punishment that we deserve, or God is going to step in and do something about it. And all throughout the Old Testament, God makes this promise to his people, to Israel, to bring shalom back to the people who believe in him. If I had time, I'd love to go into the backstory of all the things that they went through. It's a lot. The Old Testament is big. It's a lot about suffering and all this hard stuff. But to make it brief, here's what they were going through. They were weary. They were weary people. They were tired, tired of war, tired of oppression, tired of pain, tired of suffering. They were weary people, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. And among them came people like Isaiah, who could envision a different reality of what God would bring to him. And so Isaiah says this in nine, chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. He says, For unto us a child is born. 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Sounds really uh, familiar to us, right? Isaiah hoped for a time when God would restore things, make things, and bring us back into wholeness with him again. And so this story has always been a story about God promising to send himself to right all the wrongs, to send himself to to fix all the hurts, to, to fix all the broken stuff that's been going on, and to bring us to himself. And so the season of Advent that we celebrate is a reminder to this grand display of the love of God who sent his son to bring us out of death and into peace. See, like the good news is that promise has been fulfilled this morning for us. We can take hold of that. God has made good on his promises. Isn't that good news? This is the good news of great joy that we have this morning that the angels talked about. As I thought about this passage, something I was wrestling with throughout the, the week is, how do I know that I have this kind of peace? How, how do I know that I have this kind of peace where I'm not separated from God anymore? Look at the text. Who in this text has that kind of peace? The people who believed and heard, right? Mary and Joseph believed that God gave them the Son of God, and they had peace from that. Mary was nine months pregnant, and she walked 80 miles, but she had peace in that because she believed in the Son of God. The shepherds believed the Savior was in the world now. And so when they found Jesus, they began to share that news. They believed. Those are the people who found peace. In the midst of their tyrants, in the midst of their troubles, they had an enduring and unwavering peace that surpassed it. Doesn't mean that Jesus comes and all of a sudden our, our tyrants are gone and our troubles are gone. What it means is that we have a peace surpassing all understanding. And so what does it look like to live in this peace this morning? It's to believe in the one that is peace. Believing the promises of God bought by the blood of Jesus. And so how will I enjoy this peace from the God of hope? What, what connects me to this God and his peace? What makes me whole again in believing the promises that we've been purchased, we've been adopted because of the blood of Christ? So I want to I close with this. There are two declarations that our passage gives us this morning. One from Caesar and one from God. Caesar decrees, come to me, build my kingdom, glorify me, I don't care about your peace, and it comes at your cost. God says, Beloved son, beloved daughter, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. I'm sovereign over your tyrants. I'm bigger than your troubles. I'm coming to give you peace. And it comes at my cost. The peace that Jesus came to give was salvation, full restoration between God and us. And that came at an incredibly large cost to the Father. 
The sacrifice of his life on the cross became a bridge between this huge gap between my ugly sin and this holy God. His resurrection made the Holy Spirit available for us this morning to experience this everlasting and unwavering peace. And so friends, here's the true meaning of peace. Jesus paid it all. The true meaning of peace is that Jesus paid it all for us on the cross. And friends, Christmas should be a time of glorifying the God and aligning our hearts on the God who actually brings us peace, even though we didn't deserve it. But yet, over the last two decades, Christmas has been recognized as the most stressful week out of the entire year. Does that not tell you the reality we live in? We have some misconceptions about peace. Would you let the stress of this Christmas season be placed to the side for a second and listen? Would you let your your questions and your doubting and all these things that you've got going on, your objections, and put them aside for a second and listen? The angels are not telling you to try harder and be better. They're not telling you that you're not good enough. God is telling you that you never can be good enough. But he still loves you anyway. He loves you so much that he left heaven to come to you and give you the peace that you really need this morning. He says, there's no work to do. I've already done it for you. All you have to do is receive it. We're being told to listen, to pay attention through his voice and to receive the gift. Be like the lowly shepherds and receive the gift. They weren't anyone special. They didn't do anything special. They didn't have anything to offer, yet they received the gift with joy. So if you want peace over that tyrant in your life, believe in Jesus. You want peace over the troubles and the anxieties that you're experiencing this season? Believe in Jesus. Friends, we have the gift of unwavering peace before us this morning. The question is, will we continue to receive it? Or maybe for the first time, will we receive it? So as you think about Christmas and all the things that are stacking up, and man, God, what are you going to do? Like, why me? Would you just simply turn to Jesus and allow his words to comfort you? My peace I give you. My peace I leave you. Let's pray.